Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is episode 312 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I'm James, joined by Paul and Ryan for this, I guess, post-Otani apocalypse episode <laughs> and uh, post-winter meetings episode. Lots of questions about, uh, you know, some of the activity the Brewers had during the winter meetings and the Shohei Otani deal, which I'm thankful was wrapped up before we did this this weekend. Uh, but first, how are you guys doing on this on this weekend as we get ready to record here? Doing good. Fun weekend. Everything's going right for the Packers again so far. So, you know, yeah, all, all, all is good with the world so far. It's Bear a... down, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Only Man, bad the only bad part of that is the, uh, the Panthers are so bad. They have basically secured the number one pick, which goes sure. to the Bears. So the Bears will have to make a decision between their slightly better playing quarterback and Caleb Williams when draft time comes. So that'll be fun either way. Well, Actually, isn't it kind of good if they pick Caleb Williams? Because isn't he probably not going to be that great? I think he's good. You think uh, he's good? That would, yeah. Okay. I, I, he's he is he's got weird off the field stuff just with the crying and stuff. But I don't actually care about <laughs> stuff like that too much. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. exactly. No. And Drake May is good too, I think. But um, he has some flaws as well, and he comes from a very quarterback friendly system. Not that USC also very quarterback friendly. Yes, but yeah. Caleb Williams plays more like Mahomes. He's good at creating out of structure. I like that. Uh, May is okay at it, but he is very much a make the right decision in structure kind of guy, which also can work out just fine. But uh, Williams, I think, is a good player. That sounds like it would work in the Matt Lafleur offense. What you just yeah, he'd be good. Yeah, uh, they're they're both good prospects. It's one of those where you're just flipping a coin as to who you get, and there's a decent chance both will work out. Anyway. Yeah, looking forward to the uh, Monday night game and, and looking forward to the reporting as eligible recap as Heck always. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know things things have really turned around over the last few it's weeks. Nuts. You guys are it's, marked. Yeah. Yes, it's insane. They've done great. Well, yeah. we are all very happy. This is yeah, it's completely different. I'm looking at like some of the things that I uh, tweeted about a few weeks ago and was like rooting for them to lose and being happy about that. Now it's like yeah, no, things have gone completely in the opposite direction, and that inherently makes me suspicious. I I hate like overreacting <laughs> to results. I I always feel like that's like the bane of my existence is trying to not overreact to results and this seems hard not to because you're playing some of the best teams in the league and you're doing really really well against them so yeah i'd say the one thing to one thing you got to worry about a little bit is the retrospect thing where um when we lost to denver a while ago that seemed like a horrible loss Mm -hmm. and now it looks like actually not too bad they've actually been on kind of a tear and it looks like the lions win maybe isn't going to look as good as it did at the time um, <laughs> in short order they are crashing hard right now uh, and even kansas city uh, they're playing a good they're playing buffalo today who they're they're very good but they're losing too so i at home, i yeah. do wonder if we'll look back at this segment of the season and be like ah, a little bit of fool's gold there but i don't think so they look legitimately good to me so i think we're okay but you know i feel like the wisconsin basketball used to do that a lot where they would like go out and beat mm-hmm. some like number two overall team and then the number two overall team would lose like five in a row after that sure and be like ah well whatever <laughs> yeah no there's there's definitely and especially in college basketball there's a lot of that that goes on because there's enough results and things bounce around enough uh but yeah speaking of college basketball yeah that was that was unpleasant yesterday the uh badgers getting absolutely just destroyed by arizona yeah um, arizona's yeah. good arizona's yeah, good and if you're gonna get boat raced on the road by a team i mean that's sure. not a bad one to have exactly yeah and um, they beat marquette so 
you know, yep. there you go. That's all that matters. Uh, getting up for Liverpool was good yesterday. Got up and uh, they, they came back and won a game after playing like absolute crap for the first 75 minutes and won a game late. So that was that was fantastic. And uh, a, a plug for people. If you are in the Milwaukee area and like to go to plays and enjoy Hitchcock stuff, uh, Dial M for Murder is uh, at the Milwaukee Rep this month and quite, quite good. So uh, enjoyed that thoroughly. There was just enough twisting and difference from the movie itself that uh, I enjoyed that thoroughly last night. So that was quite good. Nice. Great. Great. Add in the uh, Badgers volleyball team. Uh, yeah. Just cruising through the Elite Eight without much much trouble. Uh, that that was an awesome, awesome game to watch or match. I I am not up on the volleyball lingo. I just know it's crazy fun to watch. And they had some <laughs> like insane returns of service. You've probably seen the highlights that man, they're really good. I hope they win it all again. Yeah. Same. Uh that's that's super fun. Uh good weekend overall. Yeah. I I just got back from Milwaukee uh for the for the girlfriend's birthday weekend. Stayed a night in the Fister. Did not nice. see any ghosts. Um, but yeah, no, I was disappointed. Uh, we were calling Charles and everything, but no, nothing happened. So, uh, but no, it was a fun weekend for sure. And, and back, back home now, but let's just dive into things, right? Cause we've got a ton of Patreon questions to get to, uh, with the winter meetings and such. So a reminder, you can become a patron and get that question priority at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Uh, just two bucks a month gets you that perk. And that works for both on this podcast and on reporting as eligible five bucks. Gets you that question priority plus the additional exclusive content. Paul's Packers mini pods before the game every single week, and uh, Ryan and James Anderson's uh, minor league extra podcast as well. So uh, be sure to sign up and, and listen in there. Lots of good episodes recently to check out uh, if you need to catch up. And also, you can support us another way. Even if you're not a patron, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening to this right now. Give us a five-star review and tell your friends about us. While you're there, hit the subscribe or follow button so you'll get those push alerts every time. Ryan posts the episode every single week. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube at MKE Tailgate is the account there. So, you know, I, I mentioned the the Otani sweepstakes, and we basically never start with non-brewer stuff we we focus on the brewers a lot but uh i think a 700 million dollar contract is worth uh, starting the show with i don't know about you guys <laughs> mm -hmm. uh especially after kind of a snoozer of a uh, winter meetings where you know all the major writers and in, in sports news breakers were just complaining about the selfishness of otani mm, you know not giving ridiculous. them any news and all, all that totally crap. ridiculous uh, it, there was some Brewers news, you know, Wade Miley coming back and Joe Ross, uh, maybe a sneaky signing there. And then the Jackson Churio extension that we talked about last week going final, pretty much like the day after our podcast posted, which is typical, but, uh, Otani, obviously the big news landing with the Dodgers, despite all the, you know, alleged plane tracking to Ro to Toronto and, and such, <laughs> but, uh, you know, a lot of questions from our patrons. So let's just start with Morgoth Penn, who's asking. So Shohei to the Dodgers felt predictable to some degree. Where does the landing spot rank for you on the dislike meter? I was just hoping AL personally. Uh, I think I agree with that. I, I wouldn't have minded Toronto, Toronto. You know, that'd be a fun landing spot for him. Get him with Vladdy Jr. And, and the rest of the young stars there. Counter the Juan Soto to the Yankees stuff with with Shohei in Toronto and add in the yeah. Orioles. That's a that's a fun division race if that would have happened. But I guess I'm not upset, Paul, 
about the Dodgers because I, I don't know. It just sort of felt inevitable to me. So I'm not really that upset about it. I'm not upset about it. Um, it is a very Dodger thing to do. And honestly, if you're that big of a free agent, that's one of the teams you should be courting. That's one of the places you can get paid. And I don't, you know, I don't like the Dodgers. They've they've knocked us around every now and then, and that's no fun. But like him going to the big monster team is A, I think fine. B, mm-hmm. um, I think Shoei is, first of all, this is not denigrating him at all because he's amazing and one of the best players of all time. But it, this is a riskier contract than your average big signing contract because his arm explodes a lot. And he's actually very difficult to value. And while the Dodgers can never truly run out of money, um, he's probably more likely than a lot of players to uh, take a significant hint to his value, either by getting hurt and not being able to pitch anymore or by deciding not to pitch anymore and just turning into an offensive player, in which case... He's still awesome. There's still nothing wrong with having him as just an offensive player. But a $700 million just offensive player is kind of just, you know, we, we see those guys before. It's not anything special if you're just doing that. So um, I think it's fine that he lands there and made them spend a lot and got paid and set the market. And, you know, that's fine. He's not a Cubs would have been worst. Cardinals would have been second worst. And uh, AL would have been better. I agree with that. But this is, I would say, just this is okay. No problem there. Yeah, really, I just wanted to be out of the division. I was just yep. no Cubs all the way and just rubbing that rabbit's foot the whole way. And it worked out just fine. Uh, when the Toronto thing fell through, I had a moment of, oh, no. Yep. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't do this to me. Um, so it was nice that the Dodgers just jumped right in the next day and did that. I do wonder exactly why that all played out that way. If that was the rumor that got out there to put that last little bit of pressure on uh, the Dodgers to make come with their final best offer that they were going to put out there and see if that did it. Because I, I think there that might not have been a coincidence, but hard yeah. to say exactly how the machinations of all that go. But I mean, the thing about this is, and I, I think we need to recognize up front that this is just like, what's the, the legal term, Paul? Sui generis, right? Like it, it doesn't really, it, it exists on its own. It doesn't really create yes. a comparable because I'm not sure if that's the legal term or not, just in case lawyers yell at me later. I forget. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, this doesn't like set a press. There's not another guy like him out there. It's just it's very rare that this happens. Right. In <laughs> so many ways. First off, there's the two way player aspect of it all. Right. There's yeah. the fact that there's he's a great hitter. And if he's not pitching like he goes to the outfield and probably I don't know, he'd probably be like a right fielder and be like one of the best right fielders in baseball right away. Um, so immediately you would get that bump as well. So because he is so fast, like he is one of the fastest players in MLB. And so you have that aspect of it too. So there's like, there's a lot of like sort of ways that even if he isn't able to pitch at the top of his game again, which is a distinct possibility here, right? Mm -hmm. Even if that doesn't happen, um, there's still a lot of ways for him to get value. But I think the biggest thing here, and this is, this is hard because we don't have firm facts about this because MLB hides their revenue. They don't make this all open. But we heard enough rumors last summer that the Angels were basically like, we can't trade Otani because we're making so much money off of just having him on our team uh, right. in terms of the marketing uh, the the marketing deals with uh, with Japan and in terms of the games being broadcast, the broadcast rights over in Japan, that beyond all the stuff like, you know, you could talk about, say, merchandising and some of those things, which that's a whole other market and that's a whole other thing. But just some of those things, a big portion of this $70 million a deal, at least up front, is going to be subsidized by money that they're getting from Japan. We don't know exactly right. how much that is going to be. We can't know that. 
but it's going to be substantial because Otani is a unicorn. I was looking at some things over there. Um, do you know how many people watched the World Baseball Classic final in Japan last year? No, no but you're going to tell me a lot of JR people. says. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it was like 50 million people. In the yeah. U.S., yeah. it was like 5 million people and were <laughs> right. significantly larger than Japan. Um, and that was basically because Otani, right? Like that's not just because of Otani, but of the of the games in Japan, the Major League Baseball games in Japan that were the highest rated in Japan, um, all 10 of the top 10 were Shohei Otani starts, okay? He brings in so many eyeballs in Japan and just, I'm assuming also after the Shobei thing on uh, Effectively Wild, um, I, all, just kind of all across the world, like he is a international superstar in a way that like baseball doesn't really have like this is yeah he is yeah. a unicorn here in so many ways and the dodgers especially like they have a history with this hideo nomo remember the first japanese star was a dodger mm-hmm. and so yep. they have this history with japan as well they are going to know exactly how to make this work and to maximize the revenue coming in and a yep. big part of this of, the, of these dollars coming to otani this was being done with it in mind that Otani was going to bring in a ton of extra revenue beyond the normal things that you get when you sign a star player, right? Like the, the boost to local attendance, the boost to local interest, the local merchandising, all that stuff. There's this whole extra category of stuff that we can't actually put a dollar value on because MLB doesn't want us to know that, but we know it's there. We, we just don't know. We can't put a dollar figure on it. And right. I got to think it's, really really substantial in this case i guess even if it's uh subsidized in that way or deferred like uh, uh an amount to this contract is going to be deferred uh yes. it still you know yep. had a lot of people kind of wringing their hands over oh 700 million dollars there are entire teams that aren't worth that much oh my god so uh mark Potscarby's question here is kind of uh with that thought in mind, asking, is the fact that a player just signed a contract that is worth as much as five owners in the sport are any sort of issue? It feels like we have truly reached a point where we can't even pretend these teams play the same sport anymore, sort of in a similar fashion as the Power Five and Group of Five in college football are at the same level, but nobody pretends Alabama and New Mexico State are really equals. So I guess, Paul, any concerns about this really reinforcing like the the different stratospheres that some of these teams operate in uh, a little bit but it's not really that different is the thing um mm-hmm. it, it so a it is 700 million dollars is a big number but amortized over 10 years it is much less big than it seems out front uh inflation cuts into that deferring things cuts into that uh, and of course what as ryan just mentioned uh he's not your average baseball player in terms of you're not just paying money for wins you're paying money to get a lot of money back through you know ways that are indirect to winning baseball games, merchandising, uh, international eyeballs, things like that. So um, this isn't comparable to anything else. And that money isn't fake money, but that amount going to him isn't the same as if it was going to some other player. It just, just isn't. And the other thing is um, the best players when they hit free agency have tended to land with the Dodgers or Yankees or occasionally Mets or occasionally other big market money team kind of forever. Uh, that's not new. Every once in a while, some t- the Padres will jump up for a year and do crap like that. 
Um, this is same old baseball as it's always been. And lastly, when you buy in the free agent market, it doesn't always work that well. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> more than anything, yeah, the free agent market is useful. Um, but the thing you don't get out of it is surplus value. If you go, if you are a 90 win team and you need to buy five wins and you go and get a five win player at market rates, you'll get exactly that. You'll get a five win player at market rates, but, but you know, um, you're not going to get any sneaky value out of anybody. And because free agency always starts when players are older, it often does not work out in your favor. So, um, this is not that new. Uh, this has been going on basically forever and will continue to go on forever. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of financial inequality in the sport, but there's always been a lot of financial inequality in the sport and it's generally worked out fine for all involved. Um, we could get to a point where it doesn't, but still okay for the time being. Yeah. I think uh, echo a hundred percent of that. And I just want to talk a little bit about why that is um, and why this isn't Alabama versus New Mexico state. Okay. Uh, or, if you're a fan of the EPL, say uh, Manchester City versus, uh, I don't know, Fulham, okay? it's it, This is not that. This is not these situations, okay? Um, and you're 100% right in all of that, that like this has kind of been the way for a long time. And part of it is just the way baseball works. One player is not determinative of a team the way that one player can be so determinative of a team and their success in either the NFL when you have like a star level quarterback obviously and in the NBA when you just have that star level player right uh baseball just doesn't work that way it's not all built around one player Shohei Otani was with the Angels for the last six years <laughs> with and the with other Mike best goddamn Trout yes with, exactly with Mike goddamn Trout is right yes and guess how many times they made the playoffs together Zero, right? So there's still so much else that has to be done correctly to have a good team. Now, the Dodgers do that, right? Like the Dodgers are an exceptionally well-run team from like almost every angle imaginable. But that would be true with or without Otani. Otani is like a he's like a a, a wonderful cherry on top of this great big Sunday that they've built, like the best possible wonderful cherry. But it's still just a cherry on top. Like it's not really like the determinative foundation of this whole thing. So, yeah, uh, it's it's really not that it's baseball still has viable paths. And the reason they have viable paths for small market teams. Oh, wait, I'll, I'll just wait. Let's go to Kevin's question. Yeah, we got, we got a question <laughs> about that coming up. Yeah. We do. We do. Uh, so let's go to Kevin Stern then asking because uh, you guys brought up the luxury tax and because apparently deferments don't or maybe didn't until the most recent CBA count against the CB or the luxury tax. Uh, there was some discussion about that, mm-hmm. about whether the Dodgers were getting around that with the Otani contract. Anyway. Kevin's question here is, do you feel the luxury tax creates genuine competitive balance for all 30 teams? Do you think MLB will ever have a true salary cap like the NFL? So with that, Ryan, you want to finish your thought? Yeah, exactly. So, um, well, to get into the actual question here, no, the luxury tax does not create genuine competitive balance for all 30 teams. Um, It wasn't intended to create like absolute competitive balance uh it creates relative competitive balance and it it nudges some things in some directions but it doesn't create true uh balance and no i don't think we're gonna see it like the nfl because the players union because of the way that history has worked out with baseball they have the power to stop that and so they don't have to allow that the way the nfl players knuckled under and had to allow or, or decided to allow or whatever allowed it um 
I there that just doesn't need to happen that way. And the reason for all that. So going back to what I was going to say before is because of the six plus one rule, really more than anything else. That six plus one rule is, and I know that there's something similar to that in the NFL. What first round draft picks signed for five years, correct? On a basically a salary structure that first limits. rounders are four years with a fifth year option team option. So yes. Okay. It, it leads to a lot of shenanigans at the end of the first and beginning of the second round. But yeah, generally speaking, that's a good analogy. Okay. So there's that. Baseball has a couple extra years basically worked on to the end of this with it being six full years, which in a lot of cases works out to being functionally closer to seven years seven yeah because a team can't do that and because of that because of that situation um you see what hap- just happened with jackson churio happen f- not infrequently which is small market teams will lock in guys to below market deals before that point and basically take their their uh contracts uh through the you know most of the useful life of that player which in the post-steroid era, and we really need to understand this, uh, remember when, okay, for those who've read Moneyball and kind of came up with, uh, in baseball the same way that, like, I did and understand this. I, Paul, you you read Moneyball right away, too, right? Like, oh, yeah. And James, you, you were you were younger than us, but, yeah, you were also yeah, in I, on Yeah, I read program. it around the same time, yeah. And one of the revelatory things that they talk about in there is the fact that people used to say, oh, players aren't in their primes until their early 30s, and they made the point, no, 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 this has been pretty well settled for a while. Baseball players used to peak at like 27. This 27 was, used to be for a very long time the, the peak value. But right. I will let you continue, yeah. Right, so 27 was the peak time, but now it's closer to like 25. There's it's a, 25. Yeah, yeah. it's it basically you start to see decline after 25 in a general sense in baseball at this point. And a lot of this can probably be ascribed to the fact that players can't pop amphetamines like they're candy anymore and yep. <laughs> players can't take performance enhancing drugs the way that they used to be able to take them in copious amounts and that could extend out their primes and and lead to you know these time periods where guys that were in their early 30s even in like Barry Bonds case their mid to late 30s and were you know supermen um that doesn't really happen anymore and people still haven't really mentally adjusted for that and i think that at this point as a small market team, as a team that isn't running a huge payroll, I should say, the market thing is kind of beside the point. It's yeah. you can you can have success not running a large payroll in baseball simply because if you get a large number of players who are in their pre uh, or sorry, their pre free agency years locked into reasonable contracts um, and you don't end up paying a bunch of guys in their 30s to be on the decline in these big free agency deals because that's what free agency deals largely amount to is you're paying guys to decline. That's the really even more so than ever yeah. these days. It that's is. what you're doing. And so you can get around this in a way in baseball that you just really cannot in other sports. The sport is sort of set up for teams to be able to take advantage of this structure. Yeah, baseball has a secret salary cap. It has since the six-year systems come into to come into play, and it's gotten better at the end of the PD era. That is all true. And so, when people say like baseball doesn't have a salary cap or things like that, just not true. Uh, it's not a typical salary cap. It's not like the NFL salary cap, but it's a wonky, weird salary cap that teams still know how to use properly. Like all of them do. So um, all of that still allows teams to compete because it's very hard to put together a competitive team 
you just using free agency as the way to do it. It just is. It's very expensive. It's not that you can't possibly do it. You can, but it's not easy. And you're going to not have a big window because those guys are going to age into their 30s. So that is kind of how that works. As for will they ever have a salary cap? I suspect that there are circumstances under which the baseball union would actually be okay with a salary cap. However, those conditions existing are very unlikely. And um, understanding the way baseball finances work versus football are key there. Football finances are mostly driven by national TV deals. Uh, the revenue that goes into football teams is very well known to almost everybody uh, at the table. Baseball is completely different. It's a lot of local deals. It's a lot of uh, sub companies and subcontractors owning the parking around the stadium that don't feed directly mm -hmm. back into the team, and lots of weird financial shenanigans with a lot of the uh, the vendor services that exist. And baseball is generally unwilling to put all of that um, up front and on the table. And if you don't know all the revenue that comes in, you can't do the salary floor, salary cap, split 50-50 deal that the other sports do. Um, and there's no reason to trust that the owners would be forthcoming with this uh, without full transparency that none of them are willing to do. Even though we get books from the Braves, um, those are still not true, complete numbers. Those yeah. are um, done using generally accepted accounting principles, which still allows you a lot of flim flam room in there and <laughs> excluding mm -hmm. uh, or obscuring the revenue from subsidiaries and things like that. And so that's why it's unlikely to occur anytime soon. The, the game would have to train, change drastically financially for the players to be willing to accept a salary cap. Yeah, and just to underline your point there, there's a whole thing going on right now in Baltimore. There's this question of the team is willing to do its renovations and pay for its renovations on um, Camden Yards, but in exchange, they want a 99-year lease to a bunch of public land around the park so they can basically build a ballpark village that they will then control the revenue of, and it will be like a huge cash cow for them. And those sorts of revenues would obviously by ownership they would never want them to come into the baseball side they would say no 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 those revenues aren't related to baseball those yeah, are not that's part of a real estate, real trust. estate. Yeah. yeah right and and that's a big thing going on right now that was part of why the braves moved to the burbs in the first place guys is they wanted to build the ballpark village around the, the park that was that was part of the sweetheart deal with cobb county mm -hmm. so and so yes it's so complicated to try to figure all that stuff out um, and ultimately, the only way that the uh, that this would ever come to fruition is if baseball was coming out ahead in the long term. And the union knows that. And so they're not likely to give in on it just because yeah. it, it probably is going to be a problem for them uh, eventually, no matter what. All right. One last Otani question before we move on to the Brewers stuff this week. Mark Pod Scarby asking, in what year will the <laughs> Brewers give out their first contract that totals either $700 million or an annual average value of $70 million? So uh, I don't know. Is it this century? It's 2033 when Jackson Churio's deal is up. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I mean, I was going to say, I don't think another team in baseball, I don't care if it's the the Brewers or the Yankees, I don't think another team gets all that close to this for at least a decade. Uh, I, I think you, you see a deal that's so far out in front. Um, not quite. This is this is even more extreme than the Alex Rodriguez deal in uh, 2000, the one that gave him $250 million and wasn't mm -hmm. eclipsed until Alex Rodriguez got another deal like seven years later. Um, I think that's kind of what you're looking at here is this isn't going to be eclipsed by anybody for a very long time because we already talked about the circumstances of this are just so 
outstanding that yeah. nobody else, it's just not going to make sense for anybody to get close to this for a long time. Yeah, 700 million, probably not. 70 million AAV, eh, maybe. On maybe. a like, really short-term deal, possibly. But like, I, I'm, yes. you know, I tweeted this week, it was like, this... I'm not worried about this contract because it acts as its own salary cap, as you guys were kind of uh, mentioning, because the next time somebody goes, like, say, Jackson Churia goes to the Brewers in 10 years and says, I want $700 million or $70 million in a year, they're going to go, OK, cool. Can you hit and pitch? No. Well, then get the <laughs> hell out. You know, like that's going to be the line for so long. So I'm I'm not terribly concerned with that. But, yeah, maybe you know, I, I'm in my out of the park uh, league here and I'm in like 2045 and there are guys making 90 and 100 million a year or whatever. So maybe inflation hits that point in, in a few decades, but I'm not terribly worried about it. Um, I guess real quick before we move on, do you guys think he like in terms of war lives up to the 700 million dollars? Because I, I mean, like the price of uh, uh, like what? you know, war per dollar or whatever has gone down mm-hmm. after the pandemic. So it's like what, eight and a half or 9 million now, if you want to yeah. ballpark it, um, you know, the last, last three years, <laughs> when you combine the offense and pitching, uh, at least on baseball reference, he was 10 total war this last year. Yeah. And that's with only playing 130 some games before he got hurt 9.6 the year before and nine the year before that. So he's on a run here. We're like, He's even outplaying that total. Yeah, I don't know. Well, and also you have to take the time value of money into account here because exactly there will exactly. Be, somebody is going to actually come out and say, actually, this deal is worth five hundred and forty million dollars, not you know seven hundred million because of all the deferrals. Mm-hmm. That sure. when when all that stuff is known and is figured out, the union always likes to mention that because I think we saw that with Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg's deals with the Nationals because those were so heavily deferred and yeah. the actual real value of those. Um, when the union put it out was, you know, significantly less than what it was initially reported to be right. because of the deferrals. So, yeah, there, there's also that part of it to take into account. But it, it's going to be a, a, a minute before that happens. Yeah, he's hard to predict because he is such a unicorn. And like the the one category of player that does tend to age fairly well is like Hall of Fame guys mm-hmm. who have such a high ceiling in the first place that even when they do start to age a little bit and like lose some of their speed, they still hit like mad. And he very he may very well be that kind of player. Entirely possible. If I was betting on it, I'd bet he does have a bit of a a, a crash like somewhere around his 33 age season. I feel like that gets a lot of guys. And I bet the pitching goes south sooner than we all think, too, and that that stops being a thing that he does. Um, but it's hard to predict with these guys. Uh, a guy like Otani is much more likely to meet that, that uh, ceiling than your average, like, you know, big boned first baseman or something along those lines. Yeah, and the other thing to note too here is that uh, Shohei doesn't turn thirty until next July. Nope, so he does not. This deal doesn't carry him into his forties. This deal is done yeah. when he's you know in his thirties. So sometimes those those back end years, yeah, that's what really got say the Angels with uh, with Pujols on the back end of that deal was yeah the thing carried him until he was like forty one or forty two. Yep. This is ending a little bit sooner than that, so it's not nearly as uh, problematic from that perspective either. All right. Uh, it's been a half hour of Otani talk, so let's move over to the Brewers stuff now, the stuff that you guys all tune in to hear. Uh, they did, you know, ink 
a couple of veteran pitchers during the winter meetings here. So they brought Wade Miley back, just as we kind of had speculated at the tail end of last episode. Uh, it'll be a $7 million deal for this upcoming season with a $12 million mutual option uh, for the year after that in a $1.5 million buyout. So uh, I guess, how do you feel about the terms? I feel like Wade Miley on $7 million, even if he's not quite at the level he was at last year, Ryan, uh, pretty damn solid deal. Yep, exactly. Pretty damn solid deal. Uh, the downside here is pretty minimal. And it is interesting uh, because this is less than he was going to get uh, when he turned down his mutual option. If he yeah, accepted his that mutual option and the Brewers had also accepted their end of it, we still I still haven't seen it reported if the Brewers picked up their end or not or if they never had to because he said he wasn't going to. So it just made the decision moot for them. But that was a $10 million mutual option. So he's getting... 1.5 million less than he would have gotten by accepting that mutual option. So I don't quite know what was going on with that thing. Like what did they misread the market? That's certainly possible. We actually have some stuff about the market coming up, so yep. I'll save it for then. But um, yeah, this is, this is a good deal. You like it and no issue. Exactly. There's, there's very little downside to signing Wade Miley. You know what you're getting with him. He, he might get hurt. He gets hurt kind of a lot. If he doesn't get hurt, he performs very well with the Brewers and has over a pretty long period of time at this point. And that is just not a lot of money for a pitcher who could be, you know, uh, easily one of your top three pitchers when it's all said and done, as he often is when he actually gets innings thrown. So totally good. No complaints. Love Wade Miley. Uh, they can have him back basically forever as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And if he is bad, you release him and okay, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, leads us to our next Patreon question, Adam Post, who's asking, why does Wade Miley love including mutual options in his contracts? <laughs> Should mutual options even exist? I can't recall the last time I saw one get picked up. Uh, you know, we we kind of speculated a few weeks ago. Uh, I think it was actually Spencer Ryan that had mentioned, you know, maybe it just gives Wade a little bit more time to think about what he wants to do for the next year, provide some flexibility, and he just likes the assurance that he might have a deal next year if he feels like playing again. And, it, you know, it, do, do you think that kind of buys into it with the mutual options? Or what do you think his play is here? Well, I did think that. But then the fact that he just decided so yeah. early, I mean, we're barely into December. And he's like, nah, I'm going to come back and I'll I'll commit to doing this right now. I mean, if this was happening in February, I'd be like, OK, that was probably the factor. Sure. But at this point, like, uh, it's not all that common. Yeah, I, um, I think. Really quick, I think the main reason these get included is because because they're uh, exercised so infrequently, and there's just no downside for any party to have a mutual option in there. I, I'm guessing an agent at the end of every deal just goes, "Hey, should we do one of these?" And everybody's just kind of like, "No," nah, because you can always just say no and <laughs> kill the whole thing. And th so that's my guess. Um, but you know, uh, it's weird that there's not more of them if that's true. So maybe not. <laughs> the one thing it does do is it allows the player to pick up their uh and we, we probably should have figured that into his salary from last year it allows the player to just get that uh the option like if the player turns down the mutual option i think they get the buyout ah okay yes I, I'm, I believe they do um i actually looked it up as far as i can tell and this may be have been superseded since matt belial was the last guy where both sides picked up a uh, a mutual option and you won't be shocked huh. to find out it was the rockies and it was in 2013. 
<laughs> That's weird. So it goes back ten like, years ago. I, no, Holy it cow. may have been superseded since. But I, this is what yeah. I found when I went and searched for it. And All right. It was like okay, uh, it it has happened, but it's rare. But yes, I thought originally that the reason he turned it down was like he wanted to just see how he felt in a couple months. But apparently, he was pretty committed to coming back and playing right away. So that makes this a little bit weirder, right? Like that he didn't just say, okay, I'll just accept the option. Because mm-hmm. that was like less than a month ago at this point or about a month ago. Why didn't he just accept the mutual option? And then he would have a extra, you know, $1.5 million in his pocket. But whatever. Maybe one of our friends who listens to this and has access to Wade Miley can ask him what the deal was. That <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I look it's forward to that in February. Yeah. Kurt, Kurt, if you're listening, ask that in February, please. Thank you. All right. Uh, also this week, the Brewers added veteran right-hander Joe Ross on a one-year major league deal worth $1.75 million. No option. Um, it's kind of an odd one, or at least, you know, one that we didn't really expect he's sort of like that post hype prospect type, right? Ryan, where like he's in his late twenties now, never really developed into uh, what some thought he could be, but I mean, he was worth 1.4 warp according to prospectus in the last year and had a DRA of 432. So uh, it seems like uh, a typical brewers backend guy. Um, and Luke Ray suitcase actually brings up a couple of names that I was just going to say. So I'll just read this question <laughs> here. Uh, do you have any idea? What the Brewers see in Ross, is this similar to Colin Ray and Julio Tehran? It seems like they have been having pretty good luck with the quality of their 6th, 7th, and 8th starters. Okay, so to start off here, because I mentioned this right away, I'm like, okay, I assumed he's a starter, and that's fine. Uh, That was my assumption. And then I saw Jack Stern talking about this, and he kind of led me away from that, uh, yes, because he did start games this year in um, A ball and in AAA. He, he pitched this year only in the minors, though. And th- if you look at it, though, uh, he made three starts at AAA and they were covered six innings. He made four starts at, uh, at A ball and they covered seven innings. So he's going shorter stints. Now, I don't know if the plan is to keep him in shorter stints. If this is, he's now going to be pitching in, in shorter stints. Apparently, his stuff was playing up a little bit in that way so maybe this is actually a reliever situation this might not be a power sinker yeah yeah i should say too i i misread his uh uh career stats here assuming the last line was 2023 it was 2021 he was last in the majors so that's noteworthy Mm. as well yeah and one of the things i i look back and i i do like about him um 9.1 strikeouts per nine 2.8 uh walks per nine with yeah. the Nationals that year, I you know anytime I see those numbers get up over three, especially for a starter, um, three point two one uh, strikeouts per walk, we do like that. That that makes my heart sing. So, um, but I just I don't know exactly what the role here is, and I don't know that the Brewers necessarily know what the role is either. Uh, but it does chew a roster spot. So that is that's probably the most interesting thing about this is he doesn't have options, so they can't send him down. So this is sort of committing to him being on a roster spot. So they're planning on him being there, which yeah. maybe does push other guys a little bit down in the pecking order. Like this makes it less likely maybe Robert Gosser opens the year with the team or um, maybe makes it a little less likely that, I don't know, one of the relievers maybe. I, I'm not sure. But it, it it does change some of those equations for us. It is interesting that he seems to have gotten quite a bit better after taking the COVID year off. And then 
in, in, you know, and then not playing after that at all. Um, but he was not very productive prior to the COVID season. And that one season does really stick out for him. So um, I don't know. It's an interesting gamble, as they like to do, and you know they probably have some notion of something they can fix there or get more out of him in the relief role. But we'll see. Right, and this is fundamentally it's a million dollars over the minimum spot anyway. Yeah. So this Mm -hmm. is you look at it's one point seven five, but realistically that's one million over the the mandatory anyway. So this is this is not a big risk. It it is not. You can send him out if he's terrible. Right. Very easily. See. See what you have in in February when pitchers and catchers report, and if it's nothing, you DFA them really quick and have a exactly. All right, uh, moving on. Other Patreon questions this week. The next one comes from Ian Pomplin, who's asking about pitching, saying, "What's our five man rotation look like next year? Presumably, as it stands now, Burns, Peralta, and Miley are locks for starting. Who fills out the other two slots? Hauser, Ashby, Ray, Tehran." Lauer, McGill, Junk, someone else. Uh, so I, I guess, Paul, you know, even assuming Corbin Burns is back might right. be a little bit of a stretch. So Correct. how do you, how do you see the the rotation playing out? I mean, I guess I would I would slot Hauser in uh, just because that's usually where he lives when there's pitching uncertainty. Um, not that he's never a bullpen guy, but he he uh, is generally speaking there. Um, uh, I, I've already forgotten who my givens were. It was Burns, Peralta, and Miley, right? So uh, yes. probably Colin Ray would be my other bet, uh, just because yeah. he was pretty good at it, and I don't see an obvious person better than him to go into the starting lineup. <laughs> so like, that would be my bet for the five. But the thing about the Brewers is they don't just they don't have five starting pitchers ever. They have as previously alluded to, like seven or eight starting pitchers. And so the answer is everybody that you just named. But if I had to pick five for opening day, that would be my five that I'd go with for opening day. So that was Hauser and who rounding it out? Uh, Ray. And Ray. Ray. Hauser and Ray? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, that makes the most sense to me as well. All depends sort of on what Aaron Ashby looks like in spring training, where his yep. velocity is at, what his endurance is like. So stamina is going to be a big thing for him coming off that shoulder. Uh, they may want to baby him and really just be careful with him this year. Um, Lauer's not on the roster anymore, guys. He's he's gone. Lauer's no, he's gone. He, um, he was outright. Oh, was he part of the list? <laughs> yeah. So I I got rid of that. Uh, also, Tehran I don't believe is on the roster either. I don't he think was, he is. He was pretty sure he at the end that. of the season. Yes. Yeah. So that doesn't mean he can't be brought back. But yeah, I I think those are probably out. I still think there's very likely to be you know trades involved here. They're probably going to bring in somebody who could potentially be in the rotation, maybe as part of a Burns deal. Though, again, we should mention that that this week. Uh, Scott Boris in his scrum, which apparently people didn't get good audio of. No. There's like all this no. mystery around it. Like his normal uh, 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 pun fest was uh, not recorded the way it normally would be. But huh. um, one thing that he he did say was that he's not right now. The Brewers, the, the expectation around the game is that the Brewers are not moving Burns. So yep. he thinks he's he's staying with the Brewers. So. Scott tends to know these things, and I don't know what his motive would be there to lie, because, of course, Boris would shade whatever he needed to shade to achieve whatever end he wanted. But I don't see where his motive would be here to, to not tell the truth about that. So it seems like Burns is probably not getting moved, but it's still possible. I think especially yeah. after the Juan Soto deal, that return on the Juan Soto uh, trade was quite light. 
like that was not sure. Uh, there was there was a lot of pieces and not a lot of quality um, that went back to the Padres there. So we will see. But I that that deal makes it for me less likely that Burns gets moved just because the trade market doesn't seem to be overly hopping. Mm-hmm. My favorite note on the Juan Soto trade, I think it was effectively wild, was one of them that mentioned like what two, three players that the Padres got back for Juan Soto are actually older than Juan Soto. Juan Soto, ah, yes, that's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, and and so, not surprising. That makes perfect sense. No, because he's still not twenty five yet. Right. Uh, yeah. and, and that caused me to say, I can't wait for Jackson Churio to be the next in the line of those jokes for like you know, whatever superstar comes along in four years is older than Jackson Churio. Yep. So part of the go. Kenny Clark Giannis line. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I guess speaking of Churio, JD has our next Patreon question asking: Now that service time manipulation does not relate to Jackson Churio. Is there any reason for him to not be the starting center fielder on opening day in 2024? Sure would be funny to see him open up in Nashville. So <laughs> I don't know, Ryan, maybe they just, you know, stash him or get him a week's worth of at-bats in, in, my, in the minors before bringing him up just to see if he can get comfortable. Is that like the only scenario? That's the only one I can think of. Yeah, he's going to have to struggle in spring training, I think, to not make the yeah. opening day roster or be hurt, right? Obviously, that's the other thing that can happen. If he's hurt or he really struggles, um, that could be the thing, though. I have a hard time imagining them wanting to keep him down uh, beyond that 15 days, you know, because I think they want him to be eligible for all those things. You might as well. You've already committed to, like, paying him and him right. being on this thing. You might as well get him up because it's not just rookie of the year. It's also potentially MVP votes for the next few years. So mm-hmm. if he ends up finishing, I think it's in the top three in the MVP, he can also potentially bring back a compensatory balance or not uh, a uh, um, whatever they call it. One of the, the cop picks for it. Right. So mm-hmm. there's other ways for this to work. So I got to think they're going to do it unless there is some exceedingly pressing reason not to. Yeah, it's just if he is struggling or hit hurt, that is the only reason to not have him up. Um, you give him this deal because you can put him on the major league roster. That is why you do it. So you got to do it. Yep. Yeah. Especially since they're already committing what a couple million to him in this first year. Anyway, you know, Ryan, as you said, it a million and a half or, you know, a million and change over the minimum anyway. So they're already paying him more than they have to. So uh, they don't want to spend that in Nashville. So, yeah, that would make a lot of sense to me. Uh, Price Trozen, next question, asking in the minor league extra, I asked about double-A and triple-A pitchers that might make the bullpen, but in looking at the roster, our bullpen looks really solid. Do you think the core can stay as good as it was in 2023 uh, with McGill, Milner, Payamps, Peguero, Ribe, Williams, and Wilson, the names he mentions there? I guess looking at that list of names, Paul, I can't see who would be bumped for anybody else right now. Well, especially because Ross is quite likely uh, part of that as well. I mean, sure. either either right. as the latter starter or as a bullpen guy. And so, yeah, it's going to be hard for anybody to correct that. It just is. Um, these things do tend to work themselves out. People get hurt. People have arm issues. And so you'll still be they will dive down there at some point. But I mean, it's pretty set in terms of, I think, what you're going to get to start the year off with and, and be good. All those guys are good or have good upside. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that by the end of the year, obviously, this will have changed. There will be got new guys who are in there, and there will be guys who are no longer in there. If I had to pick 
some that maybe would fit that. Pagaro seems fringy. McGill certainly seems fringy. Justin Wilson was, or not Justin Wilson, uh, Bryce Wilson. Bryce Wilson. Bryce Wilson. The other Wilson. Uh, Is certainly had an effective year last year from like a run prevention standpoint. But when you look at the peripherals, was it nearly as good? So I think any one of those guys could find themselves off of the team in relatively short order with struggles. I think some of the others are more solidly in there. I think Piamps, Uribe, Williams, those guys have all earned themselves a little bit more uh, latitude. Hobie Milner is a weird one just because Hobie Milner is incredibly weird. But yeah, this is (laughs) always expect bullpens to shake up. Um, One thing that is noteworthy about this, though, is I don't think there's a lot of up and down guys in this group. I, don't I was going to ask how options. many have options. Yeah, yeah. Piguero maybe has options off the top of my head. Uribe, obviously, because he was just added. But you're Uribe not is a guy who option has him. options. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, why don't we go on? I'll, I'll come back to this. I'll look it up. Okay, see. sounds good. Uh, Paul, your favorite topic: uh, yeah. spaghetti on the wall first baseman. M. Santana's asking. <laughs> Who do you think or hope will be our opening day starting first baseman? I'm hoping Santana comes back. How about I'm also you, hoping Santana comes back. Um, their infielders do not have a first baseman really amongst them at the moment that I care for, at least. Uh, and so I know they've left the door open for Santana to come back. I hope they do that. Um, I think he's a good spaghetti on the wall first baseman. First of all, has an established track record of success. He's a good defensive first baseman. Not that I care about first base defense much, but like they tend to do worse than Carlos Santana, especially over the long haul. And so I would like him to be back. Um, everybody on the team is like Owen Miller. So, uh, no. Um, Ryan, any yes. thoughts? Yeah. To write <laughs> down the line. I, I have the number or the, yeah, the, the information here. It looks like okay. Colin Ray does have a waiver option, though. I don't know exactly how that works with him. If he can turn that down because he's a free agent, but no, he wasn't, he wasn't even at the point of, uh, of having six years. So I think he still can be sent down potentially. Uh, Joe Ross does not. Aaron Ashby does. Um, Mm. Williams does, but that's a non-starter. Adrian Hauser does not. Hobie Milner apparently has one. So there's a guy who apparently has one. I knew Bryce Wilson was out of his. Um, Bradley Blalock obviously has all three. He was just added to the 40 man. And I think he's a guy that we would probably see at some point this year out of the bullpen. Um, because they, you don't add a guy like that unless you think they're probably going to be able to do it. McGill, Junk, and uh, they both apparently have one left. So they can okay. they can be optioned down Last next year. year. Yep. Elvis Piguero has two. So that was a good shout on that one. Um, mm-hmm. And then I don't know if he's still technically on the roster, but Tiago Vera, um, Vieira, Vieira yeah, Tiago Vieira, he is a very interesting guy to me. I really liked what I saw in that very brief time period. We saw him at the end of last year. I'm intrigued by him. Um, and he apparently has three. So, and he's Spotrack lists him as on the roster. So that's what I've got. Um, but, uh, Piamps is out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Like, but, like 20% of current major league baseball, free agent, first baseman were brewers at some point. So, <laughs> We've already tried that. Yeah, Santa, Santana, Telez, G-Man Choi, Dan Vogelbach, Darren Ruff. Um, it, it's it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm... Oh, Aguiar, he's out there. 
Yes, yeah. he is. Uh, I'm yeah. totally on board with Santana coming back. It's fine. Uh, it's nothing exciting. But as a, uh, they could use some stopgap right now because the Brock Wilkin is coming. So if you're going to use him as like a stopgap, even though I think Wilkin is going to go to third base, you could do some shuffling of guys depending on what else you do here. So yeah. Santana coming back is a perfectly cromulent solution. Yep. But I think they need more than that. If they, they want go to get, flush out the the power in this lineup, they should get Votto for a year just for funsies. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that'd be fun. Uh, just for the digital content, I'm yep. here for it. Yeah. Did uh, you guys I, see I mean, his reaction yeah. to Shohei signing? By the way, no, 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 he, I did not. He didn't. He didn't say specifically what it was about, but it was a few minutes after the Shohei news came. Um, uh, he says, "I was in a store. I chortled out loud. Everybody was looking at me." <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, Joey Votto, Dodgers DH confirmed, maybe? I don't know. Oh, yeah, that uh, that would make a lot of sense. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think for me, Santana is at least, you know, you're comfortable with what you know. I feel better about that than, you know, paying too much for CJ Crone or post-ACL Reese Hoskins, right? Like, there's not a ton that's exciting out there right now. Not really. Oh, and Votto can't play DH for the Dodgers because that's show, show hey. Oh, that is Shohei. Yeah, that is yeah. Shohei. Yeah, yeah. shit. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Just because somebody was screaming at the radio right there, so no. They definitely were. Yeah, yeah, I always forget about the DHs, you know, because same thing, going back to the Soto thing, you know, the discussion of like, oh, moving Judge to center field and because you have Verdugo in, in Soto now, and it's like, just put him at DH. Oh, wait, Giancarlo Stanton is still a Yankee, ostensibly, for the next, you know, four months until he gets DFA'd, but... I always forget about the DHs. Anyway, Andrew S., our next question, asking, I feel like trading for Isaac Paredes makes a lot of sense for the Brewers. Do you agree? And what do you think a package for him would look like? Uh, so, again, uh, a raise middle infielder, Ryan. So how much would it take to pry him away? Well, so they have him listed at third base here, and it looks oh, like. Oh, yeah, he's played uh, third. Yep. Yeah, third base, first base. Actually, he would be a good one where you could bounce him, you know, probably start him at uh at third base and then when wilkin comes up maybe you bounce him over to first and replace sure. santana that way like that's the sort of thing you could do here yeah, um, yeah. this is a little bit tricky because uh isaac paredes is not eligible oh wait no he is he's in uh, arbitration this year so maybe are eligible now yeah he yep. is rb eligible he's got two point uh two years and 160 days so he's definitely a super two so i don't know do do the rays need to shed salary i think they're already doing that with Tyler glass now of course they do but they're the well, Rays. yeah, but they're, they're also doing it with glass now. So I don't know that they have a pressing need here. Um, you would probably have to give up quite a bit here. He is on a pretty big upswing uh, trajectory here. 2.4 F4 in 2022, 4.3 last year. Defense of basically average, like his his defense was just a 0 0.2 um, negative. So basically just about average defensively. Um, obviously the Brewers like to have good defenders, but I think in this case, you could make an exception so much power here. Um, so much plate discipline and not a lot of strikeouts. That's another thing that's really nice here is, um, strikeout rates below 20%. So, uh, walk rates in the double digits, strikeout rates, not over 20. Yeah. This, this looks like a player I would be very, very interested in having, and would probably cost a pretty penny coming back <laughs> from the Rays. Uh, I would imagine they would be after pitching of some sort. You'd probably have to give yeah. up some pretty significant prospects. I don't know. 
I do wonder, and this was uh, this came up. I think James and I mentioned this. Um, Garrett Mitchell seems very razy because he of does. the exceptional defense. And he's like a Kevin Kiermeyer, right? He's cheap Kevin Kiermeyer or Brett Phillips, right? Like he has, he's Phillips, a lot of Brett yeah. Phillips. Like that's a lot of Garrett Mitchell, uh, Brett Phillips. So maybe that deal, like, could you do a deal for uh, Isaac Paredes headlining with Garrett Mitchell and like some pitching? Maybe I don't know. Um, seems unlikely though, but that's just sort of the thought process. It would have to be some pretty significant pitching um, going back the other way, along with a guy like Garrett Mitchell, but. Yeah, that could maybe be a framework. I mean, the Rays like guys whose arms are already half fallen off. So give them Mitchell and Aaron Ashby and call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that financial uh, uh, flexibility with Ashby where everything's all locked in. Yeah, that, that yeah. Could, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on. Ted Johnson asking, uh, now that Matt Arnold has ha- a year or so under his belt and we've had some time to hear from him and quite frankly, get used to uh, Murphy as the manager, are you less afraid of a performance decline going forward than a few weeks ago? Or is that the about face the Packers, Bucks, and Badgers have turned easing my tensions about Wisconsin sports as a whole? So, Paul, I, I guess temperature check based on like a month ago to now? Uh I have, I'm very steady on this. I don't think that the organization as a whole will change very much in terms of their philosophy towards player acquisition and things like that. Uh, I do think that Murphy will probably not be as good a manager as Council because I think Council's really, really good at that. But he'll probably get the implementation part right. And I don't know, there's enough old man gravitas there that uh, I think he'll hold the respect of the locker room for at least a while. So um, I don't think that there will be a substantial decline right away but i do think that you'll you'll take a little bit of a knock with council down um but it's not a disaster yet <laughs> we'll see but it's not a disaster yet yeah i think that's all pretty fair yeah I, I, i'll agree with that just basically down the line i think that the mood has improved based on some other things that have have mm-hmm. happened i think one of the things things were really dark for everything uh wisconsin sports related when craig council left like that was there's I mean, yeah, some, the some Packers darkness. sucked then, too. So, yeah, that right. was that, everything was bad. Yes, every, it was literally like, oh, the Wisconsin sports has been fun, but now we're headed into the dark age. The Badgers were absolutely terrible before they kind of righted the ship the last few games as well. And uh, in terms of football anyway, and then the basketball team, obviously, is, you know, the basketball team. But, yeah, I think that all of those things and I think from your uh, point that uh, the implementation should be pretty similar. I think that's probably the most underrated part of this is that I don't see like um, Murphy using his bullpen in a drastically different way than what council did, because I think they, a lot of that was kind of scripted out in advance or they had, it really kind of worked out and kind of had a, a plan going into every game that they was going to go that way. It may just be a question of like, how good is he at improvising? Because council seemed like he was pretty good at improvising um, on the fly. And so we'll see what that looks like. But there certainly are going to be enough other people around to help him because you guys saw Charlie Green got promoted to bullpen coach. Now that yep. uh, um, was it Jim Henderson is now the assistant pitching coach. So there's mm-hmm. it's not like there's going to be any shortage of input in there right. for what to do. Uh, there's there's plenty of people who are going to have opinions here. So the question will be just like, how good or like how deft is Murphy's touch, I guess. And a lot of that probably isn't actually going to be Murphy. It's going to largely come down to do the 
guys in the bullpen perform or do they not perform? Guys, we have so many questions left. All okay. right, Jay yep. Google, Jay Google, and this is not going to be a short one. Jay Google asking, boring question, but now that the stadium deal is done, what do you think of it, and what are your guys' thoughts going forward to making the stadium ballpark surrounding area better? M. Santana adding, I hope the beer district happens. So, uh, Ryan, take it away. Yeah, so we're talking about this, and the details on this are, are pretty interesting because um, – the way that this is actually going to play out is going to be different than um, what uh, b- b- maybe it's it comes out or is written on the page. Um, Larry Sandler over at Milwaukee Magazine did a really good article about this called What You Think You Know About the Stadium Deal is Wrong. I will post a link to it. Some of the highlights from that, though, they get in and talk about the fact that um, uh, so the state is going to pay $365.8 million. Each of the city and county are $67.5 million. Um, and then 150 from the brewers. But that a lot of this actually isn't going to uh, come out that way. And it, you really need to read the details here. So I'll just kind of um, leave that. So the total price tag is $673.6 million, But it isn't actually going to work out that way. And one of the really interesting things that I found is that Part of this deal, because one of my major objections to this deal was that the uh, that the city and county of Milwaukee are on the hook, whereas the suburbs. Remember, originally this was a five uh, county district, including the Wow counties and Racine County, and they're off the hook for this. They don't have to pay any money. But when you actually look at the fine print here, part of the deal here is a reduction in the administrative fee that the state charges for collecting county sales tax. And so according to what Sandler says, and also there's a quote here from uh, Joe Lamers, I'll just read this. Officially, the city and county are paying $67.5 million each, but the legislation reduces the administrative fee and the state change the state charges for collecting the county sales tax, which is rising from 0.5 to 0.9%, and the city's new 2% sales tax. That fee reduction is enough to completely wipe out both local government's contributions. In addition, the fee reduction would increase county sales tax revenue by $10.5 million after the stadium contribution is satisfied, County Budget Director Joe Lamer says. So there's a lot going on in this thing. And the details of exactly what it's going to look like, um, I think we're, we're still going to see down the road exactly how this uh, looks. But I think the, the headline is what we've been saying since the beginning, and I don't think this is anything new. We shouldn't have to pay. The taxpayer should not have to pay for stadiums for sports teams. But that seems to be the standard in the country at this point. So, and not just the country, but also just North America in general, because this stuff happens in Canada too. So, I mean, it sucks, but this is also just, if you don't want to lose your team, you get held hostage. And that's just the way that this is now. Yep. Should be a federal law. All all stadium deals are bad. This deal is also bad. And uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of that. Is there a development part to this question too? There is. Um, they should do that, but they don't seem interested in it. So um, I don't think anything substantial will happen development-wise around the stadium. I don't see it happening. Yeah, that would be uh, potentially coming out of like the parking lot space, or they're they are doing something. They're putting up some sort of a storage facility because they just oh, bought. 
They bought a storage some, facility. Yeah, for all their stuff. They bought a, uh, some land or something to to put up like a storage facility or something down there. Not the kind of development you're talking about, Paul. A new a new place for the Joker to hide out. Yeah, That's it's great. yeah, it's not not exactly that thing. So yes, there was the development part of this, and who knows? That seems like something that could happen in the course of this thing if there's enough public will behind it. But always be skeptical. Because if it happens, it's probably going to be to the Brewers and Atanasio's great benefit. So if it, if it does end up happening, it probably benefits them quite a bit. All right, moving on. Morgoth10 has a question, I guess, about the free agent market as, as a whole right now, asking... I haven't paid too much attention to all the deals, but it seems like there have been a good handful of contracts coming in well under estimations. Any thoughts or knowledge on why this is shaping up as a buyer's market? Um, I know last year there was a ton of money spent, right? But that's sort of like always the case, Paul, after a, a CBA gets spent, there's kind of a bonanza. Yeah, but uh, I, I do think that is the answer, though, that yeah. um, the market became flush with cash last year. People handed out a lot of deals. And there is a rubber band tendency when that does happen. Like a lot of that money was spent last year and there's not as much out there. A lot of big markets did that. San Diego went out, was an anomaly that went on a big buying spree. They're not doing that again. And my guess is just that, that. it is that there's not as much functional free agent buying money out there as there was last year. And so if you're basing your estimations on what people are going to get over last year or even like a weighted three-year average of last year going back, it's going to be a little on the high side. So I think that that really does explain almost all of it. Yep, I agree. The big thing here is like MLB Trade Rumors does sort of the, the definitive version of this every year. They project what every free agent's going to get. And for most of their deals, they've been, you know, 15, 20% low. Um, or sorry, they've been higher than what. Sure. So the what deals have come is. in below yeah, yeah. what they projected. The Heimer Candelario one is perfect. He was projected for four and seventy. He got three and forty-five from the Reds. Like mm -hmm. that's that's been pretty standard. There have been some exceptions. Aaron Nola did better, but that was also something that happened very quickly. And I think that's exactly what this is. This is because you don't have a huge upward pressure at the moment because of a new CBA. I think there are a number of teams, you mentioned San Diego, but there's some others that are retrenching here. The Mets went out and spent gobs of money last year, and they're not really spending gobs of money, at least not yet. Um, we'll see if they end up with Yamamoto. But, uh, you know, I think there are a number of teams that are sort of retrenching here and going back and saying, no, we're not. That was, that was a bit much last year, and um, we're not going to be as aggressive as we were in the past. And... Yeah, I, I think that explains basically all of it. I Well, I think Ballet Sports, too, has some involvement in this because, you know, yes, uh, their tr financial troubles started last year, but MLB was still, you know, kind of propping up. And my understanding is that MLB is not backing up those those organizations right now. So, you know, the, the Brewers, for one. Uh, you know, they've kept their Bally's contract. They've still been paid by Bally. Uh, but teams like Arizona, San Diego is shedding money for a ton of reasons, not just mm -hmm. that. Yep. But, um, you know, there are teams that are kind of unsure if they're going to have TV revenue coming in this year. And I think that factors into right. And it isn't just Bally's because uh, this happened in Seattle. They were talking about the site effectively wild this week. That route who does there and a couple other places, Pittsburgh, maybe uh, Denver. Um, yep. Root, uh, I guess, was decoupled 
from like uh, they were moved to a oh yeah they were moved to the uh, uh, tier where you had to opt in and pay extra money so they're not being subsidized by just every cable subscriber in the Seattle area anymore now you have to opt in and it's like an extra twenty dollars a month and so a lot of people are like you know screw that they weren't that interested in the first place and so the the revenue coming in to root sport has gone way down because they've been moved uh, from tier to tier. So there's other stuff like that. And this is all just part of the the ongoing bursting of the cable TV bubble. And it's one of the really unfortunate things about the Brewers here is they never were able to really cash in on the bubble. They Their timing of when their contracts have been up has been bad. And they were never really able to get in on the bonanza the way like San Diego specifically was able to really like they're one of the ones who really got in on the bonanza early and were able to get huge amounts of TV revenue because their contracts were up at a different time. Yeah. The Brewers were just not you know, able to do that. All right, PJ Wessels, our next question, saying the Cardinals have made a lot of moves as well. Is Sonny Gray more of an upgrade than any addition the Brewers have or will make? Uh, Paul, let's start with you. Your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, probably yes. <laughs> it, it, that doesn't mean Sonny Gray is like some overwhelming upgrade. It's just the Brewers tend to go for marginal upgrades. That's their thing. They do surprise once in a while. Like, you know, you get your Moustakas and Grandals every once in a while. So it's not a foregone conclusion that they don't do something that's bigger than Sonny Gray. But yeah, if Sonny Gray works out like he's supposed to, he'll probably be worth more war than anybody they had. That said, Sonny Gray is a pretty risky guy to have on your team and be counting on him. So fine with that. <laughs> he, he he blows up pretty, or his arm blows up pretty often. So I'm, I'm okay with that one. Yeah, so I love this question. Um, really, really love it on a couple different angles. One, I think, first off, you have to look at it like, are the Brewers going to add somebody who, like, a bigger contract than Sonny Gray this winter? Probably not. Right, probably not. But maybe. I mean, there's, like, there's a chance there that they they could potentially do it um, if the right player was still available at the right time and they were able to, to do that deal. It's possible. Now, will they trade for somebody who potentially is more valuable than Sonny Gray? That is, I think, much more likely, and it just sort of depends on how high does Sonny Gray set that bar. Um, yeah. And as you said, older guy, durability issues, we don't know exactly how good he's going to be. But I think he he kind of almost set the over-under here perfectly. Sonny Gray is almost a perfect way to set this over-under, I think, in terms of will the Brewers bring in somebody better than him uh, this winter because... That's, I think, right about the the right place to set that over under. What yeah. is he like? Three war, probably. Maybe Ish. he's a decent pitcher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When he's when he's on, that's about right. Well, no, I mean he was he was really good last. year. He was year. really good for the Twins. But yeah, he before really that, was. Um, didn't he finish second in the Cy Young voting last year? He might have. He was worth five point three uh, baseball reference war last year. Yeah. Um. So he was so, really really good last year and he threw 184 innings last year which is the most he's thrown since 2015 so Ooh, sweet sweet regression coming is what you're yes. saying that is what i'm saying <laughs> he's 30 he's this will be his age 34 season and he had a huge spike in innings pitched i'm not worried about this at all Ooh, did the cardinals just sign jeff supon <laughs> i mean that that was four years so i know i and, know but also this one yeah there, there is I think yeah, I think you make the case. There's, There's pretty potential. significant regression coming here, but man, Sonny Gray has been worth thirty career war. I was so skeptical on him coming in, 
Yeah. Um, cause he was the guy I the wanted Brewers, him so bad. Yeah. You and everybody else, because he was pitching in the college world series and they ended up with Jed Bradley who, uh, yes, yeah. because Sonny Gray was too short that that was during their six, four or taller era. So it yeah, was, oh, yeah. Exactly. Yep. yep. They wanted All to right. go for tall pitchers because that's what the symposium said the year before. Yep. That was there. <sighs> that era, uh, the symposium, yep. that the Johnny right. Helwig era. Uh, yeah. That's part of that era. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. He was tall and bad. So that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last few questions this week, and we're getting into the fun stuff now. So Dave Pensorn asking, in light of the Otani deal, why is no one discussing Brooks Kieschnick and his paving of the way for power hitting pitchers in the league? <laughs> he also did it on a team friendly deal. Is Otani selfish and tarnishing the reputation of two way players that came before him, i.e. Kieschnick? Discuss. Oh, man. I love me some Brooks. I don't know about you guys. I think everybody loves Brooks Kieschnick and... The only th- the only bad thing I have to say about Brooks Kieschnick is we didn't get enough of him. Yeah, that, uh, the the Brewers when they had him did not seem to have the confidence of their convictions about using him to the fullest, either as a hitter or as a pitcher. So um, he was good when he was out there, but man, I wish he could have been out there more. Did you realize when he was with the Brewers, he was in his thirties? Yes, I knew he yeah. was older. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. didn't realize he, he was pitched in a long old. time. Yeah, it yeah. it had really yeah, and he had bounced around. He was with the Cubs. And then there was like a three-year gap where he wasn't in the big leagues, and then he's he's back with Cincinnati, <laughs> Colorado, to pitch. yeah, and then not, yeah. So, uh, yeah, just a fascinating one. I just remember being kind of sad when they let him go, and I think there was like a uh, no, we're a serious because they let him go after the 2004 year, and yeah. I think that yeah. was like a we don't we're done have, being bad now. Yeah. Oh no, it was like a we don't have room for this sideshow attraction. Here. Yes, exactly. like, that not, was that, it exactly correct. Yeah, that like we're not gonna we're not gonna be doing this like freak show over here. We're a serious baseball club now. Which I mean, <laughs> they did go five hundred the next year for the first time in like many years. So like they they were turning it around at that point. That was that was the time period when things were turning around. But I think Brooks got unfairly sort of. Stuck with that though. He was a lot better the first year in he 03. Was, he, he was much better than he was that second year. By yeah, by orders of Well, he was a better wasn't he a better hitter but a worse pitcher in 03, and then a better pitcher but a worse hitter in 04? So in O yeah, O three he was a much better hitter, one forty nine yeah. OPS plus, seventy eight OPS plus in two thousand and four. So he mm-hmm. drastically fell off. The, we're only talking about seventy six plate appearances versus sixty eight right. plate appearances. So not major differences there, but pitching, let's see, with the Brewers, uh, yeah, he was a better uh, hitter, or sorry, better pitcher in uh, in 04. So when the, the hitting declined, the pitching got better. Ah. Yeah. Very Otani-ish, too. Alas. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, he never oh, did man. everything all at the same time. And that's, I mean, yeah. because this was viewed, he was viewed as like a freak show. And yeah. like they, yeah, they they unfairly like, kind of saddled him with that though uh it is noteworthy he never played in the big leagues again after um his tenure with the brewers in 2004 yep. ended so that was it, it was for done. Him. that was the end of his road in the big leagues so nobody else was willing to pick him up either boo no fun that was like the unimaginative unimaginative era of baseball too it was like base bases clogging and yeah they exactly. didn't do nearly enough like uh put Brooks in right field for an interim pitcher and then bring him back to break platoons. Like they yes. didn't, they barely ever did that. It was stupid. Yeah. 
that that's the real fun of that. Maybe that's what Shohei does in the back half of that contract. Just is, is a reliever. All right, uh, Morgoth ten jumping off from last last week. Uh, the Bryce Harper clown question reference. So, uh, question here. Just gonna lean in on the clown question discourse. Which brewer would you want to have appear in full clown garb at your real or a hypothetical five year old's birthday party? Uh, JD saying if he was still a brewer, it'd be Vogelbach hands down. I, th- I think maybe <laughs> based on his 4th of July outfit or whatever it was that one year might be a good poll. But Paul, if you're having a brewer dress up as a clown at your kid's birthday party, who is it? Ah, I feel like Rowdy really cost us character um, mm. answers for this question. And I, the current lineup, I'm honestly not sure. Like maybe Wade Miley back just in time is the answer to that question. But um. Uh, Willie's maybe the best answer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He'd yeah. have fun. Yeah, he'd have, the, he'd have the right spirit for it. He has the right spirit, and also he's a very expressive face. That's what you need to pull off yeah. the clown thing because your face has to really carry a lot of like the expressiveness um, beyond to get like beyond the makeup. And I could see him being like that guy who like he comes in and like does a really scary face, and some little kid starts crying, and then he's like, "Oh no 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 no, it's fine it's fine." I'm like, <laughs> "I'm so I'm sorry I'm sorry sorry." Uh, I could see like that sort of thing playing out where. Uh, because I think he has the the malleable face to be able to pull that off. So I that was the first person I thought of was Willie, uh, for sure. Yeah, I feel like Brent Suter's probably dressed as a clown at some point in his life, uh, if we're going past, and Tim Dillard, too. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, like, literal clown types. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to think who's, like, who would be the worst option in terms of, like, uh pennywise type of clown <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> you know who's the scary <laughs> who's the scariest brewer who could be a clown uh also maybe rowdy i don't know you know <laughs> like for horrifyingness yes that, yes yeah like no i can intimidating see, yeah i could see that no i thought you were going with the like remember when uh the the lawyer showed up as uh crusty the clown to the, uh the camp and was like i'm crusty <laughs> the clown and it's I, not the lawyer it's barney no no, no it was oh, there's barney. also the lawyer shows up at some point um, dressed as, or maybe it was when Homer went to clown college. It's, it's one of those two. It might be the Homer clown college one instead, but, uh, it's, it's one of those two. And I was thinking like Christian Yelich would just be like the least personality, just like the most like, hi, I'm Christian Yelich, the clown. Like it would just be very flat, like nothing there from that perspective. But in terms of horrifying, um, who would be, yeah, like it feels like it should be somebody like big and scary. I guess Pat Murphy is probably the answer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah you're probably one. right. Yeah. The gravelly voice that we're going to yeah. talk about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no. Christian Yelich would like break the balloon animal and just be like, "Oh well, that's clowning," and move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Miley Lemonade. Our last question this week. Uh, speaking of Pat Murphy. Hearing his gravelly voice describe Jackson Churio as, quote, still number 94 to me, uh, reminded me of Lou Brown urinating on Roger Dorn's contract in Major League. So naturally, this got me thinking about the rest of the cast. Who would you place in the remaining roles? So you got uh, Jake Taylor as the grizzled veteran, Roger Dorn as the prima donna, Ricky Vaughn, the talented outcast, Willie Hayes, the cocky rookie, and Pedro Serrano, the slugger who can't hit a curveball. So I guess Paul... Any ideas to fill any of these roles? Sure. Um, Devin Williams is, is wild thing. He gets angry and punched yes. a wall once. That is, I yeah, think, uh-huh. the most obvious one. Without question, um, 
uh, Wade Miley is Eddie, um, who throws junk. Oh, and yes. And, yes. Um, still gets people out and has Vagisil on his chest. Um, the rest get a little trickier because we have a lot of guys who can't hit curveballs, but they tend to be the Willie Hayes types, <laughs> not the Pedro Serrano types. Um, and, uh, you know, there's not like a, like Corey Hart fits right in there, but he hasn't been on the team in, you know, a decade and a half now. So, um, uh, we don't have a lot of power for that. Yeah, maybe um, it's whoever ends up at first base. Yeah, I think you got to leave that one open. But Willie Hayes is like all the outfielders. Like, just you can just throw a dart and pick any one of the the one any of <laughs> any of them that you want. That's totally fine. Uh, maybe go with Weems a little bit because um, he probably should hit for power and he tries to hit for power, but he is very fast and uh, just doesn't hit the ball at all when he tries. Well, Frelick, um, I, I feel I know he's super fast too. I think maybe it's because mm-hmm. Weber runs with more um, aggression when he's out there. He seems faster to me, even though he's not. Um, he's also just a lot so, bigger physically. Yeah, he's, yeah. It's yes, the Corey Hart speed. Yeah, I guess that's true too. Yeah. So uh, I I don't know. The rest are I, I feel like a tough fit. And grizzled veterans even tough. Like yeah, this team is all young people. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like I who, mean, the grizzled veterans seemed okay. So the, the prima donna is Yelich. Like it kind of has. To yeah, be. Yelich yeah, is, Dorn Dorn is definitely Dorn. Yelich. Hundred yep. percent. Yep. Yeah, yep. and like the 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 grizzled veteran, uh, Wade Miley because he is kind of the coachy thing. Like he's he very much is sort of a mentor to the younger players, but also seems like he's just kind of an affable guy and just sort of you know fine. So I I think Miley fits there. Kind of though, obviously, also like Miley definitely fits in the the Harris yeah. mold. So like multiple places for different reasons. Um, yeah, I was gonna say Freilich for the Willie Mays Hayes, just That's because fine. the games I mean, kind of match up. Yeah, sure. Um, and so that that one works. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, like. Let's just wait and see if we sign a veteran backup catcher, and then we can yeah, answer the Taylor question. Yeah, they definitely will. Or, Actually, or some dude who's been in Korea after flaming out in the, the major leagues. That's your yeah. big Taylor. Yeah. Yeah, Slugger who can't hit a curveball. That might be Jake Bowers. That's true. Yeah, okay. Yeah, like, that, right. that, like for guys that are already there. And I forgot about Jake Bowers. <laughs> yes, we've all forgotten about Jake Bowers. Yes. Yeah, well, it's probably not like for the worst. Yeah, <laughs> that true. We've forgotten about him. Like, it's that seems fine. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the uh, as good as I can do with it. Yep. All right. I, I guess if any of you listening right now are yelling things at your radio or phone as you listen to this, let us know, respond uh, when Ryan puts up the, the podcast episode this week. But we'll leave it at that. All right. Uh, speaking of Patreon questions, reminder, two bucks a month gets you that question priority. Make sure that we... Uh, ask and answer that question every week here. And you get a shout out when you sign up for the first time. Ryan, who do we have to give thanks to this week? Uh, Yeah, we have a couple of new uh, joinees. Um, We have uh, Brian Reinders, who has, uh, or sorry, yeah, Brian Reinders. Sorry, there's a superfluous Y in there, James. Uh, Oh, hate those superfluous (laughs) Ys. Superfluous Ys. Can't trust those people. Yeah, you really can't. so there's that. And then also we are joined by Prime Eddie Lacey. And I'm just going to go ahead and assume that that person is uh, actually <laughs> Prime Eddie Lacey and not uh, a listener to the RAE. Oh, instead. man. Certainly that's the case. Yes. Yeah, certainly. Clearly it's actually oh, him. Man. I love Prime Eddie Lacey. He wore like the Incredible Hulk undershirt uh, under his jersey every week. That was fun. Um, yeah. 
Awesome. Thank you guys for signing up, uh, whether it's it's for this one or the reporting as eligible one. All the same, thank you for your support. Uh, and also thank you to all of you who answer, or asked questions this week. We had a ton of them, especially considering, you know, the minorness of the Brewers moves. <laughs> but that'll also happen when you have like a record setting all time contract. So uh, thank you for all of that. And thanks for all the support. As always, reminder, if you want to become a patron, throw a few bucks our way to help us keep this thing going ad free. Go to patreon.com slash MKE tailgates. Uh, that'll do it for this week. We'll see uh, what fun awaits the Brewers in in the next week or so. Now that we're getting into December, we're past the winter meetings, past the Rule 5 draft. Brewers didn't even do anything there for you guys to talk about. So nope. uh, we'll see, you know, what's what's in store, whether it's uh, Corbin Burns trade rumors or uh, another, you know, minor league free agent signing that could play first base and be Pedro Serrano. We'll see. Uh, until then, thanks, everybody. We'll be back next time with all your questions and all the Brewers news here on Milwaukee's TLP. Have a good one.